is a year that we do something very important, and that is that we will choose leaders to serve this church. Redeemer was started almost uh, 16 years ago. And many of our leaders, when we first started Redeemer, including myself, were, we were in our early 40s. And I started doing the math not long ago. If you add that 16 to where I am now and some of you other old guys, we'll be in our 70s. And so mature churches, churches who are Christ-centered, see the gospel is so precious, it is something to be delivered, and so it raises up leaders to minister the gospel to future generations. Paul was concerned uh, that the church would be destroyed if we did not train and teach leaders the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, I mean in, in Acts chapter 20, where Paul had ministered the gospel to Ephesus, he was leaving, and he had raised up these leaders, and this is what he says. Uh, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. For I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard and remember that our three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now the text that we're going to look at this morning was written to these men that he warned. Here he gives us uh, in, in Ephesians the importance uh, of the church, the importance of the local church the, being involved in the life of the church as well as instruction on how the church should grow and how the church should mature. So if you would, I want you to turn to our bulletin. Uh, it's, our, it's there. Uh, our text is uh, there in the bulletin. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Man, I know you've been listening to a lot of reading, but hang in there. We've got a fairly long passage here, but this is God's word. <clears throat> I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways 
and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with it, is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, in the moments that we have before we come to the Lord's table, we pray that you would be with us as we open up your word, as we talk about what it means to be members of the local visible church, members of the body of Christ, because we're members of Christ. Lord, we confess to you, even in our own confession, it is hard. It is hard to be part of the body of Christ, often. It's a wonderful thing, and yet at the same time we're challenged to bear the image of Christ. And uh, sometimes uh, we do not want to do that. We do not want to be patient and kind and loving, even as our Lord Jesus. But Lord, I pray that this morning that you would give our members, and even those who are not believers here today, but certainly give our members a, a, a vision for what it can mean to be not only united to you, but to united to one another, building your kingdom together. We pray that you would do that at Redeemer, and we pray that as we choose leaders, that you would raise up leaders who love Jesus Christ and love his people. And we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. In July of this year, we lost uh, one of our beloved members, Roscoe Drury. Many of y'all had the privilege of knowing Roscoe. I think Roscoe was... Uh, right at 90. But what was ironic was a man that he admired, a man well-known throughout the world who also died within the week. His name was John Stott. And we're not going to, the world's not going to know Roscoe Drury, but we did. And those who knew Roscoe were thankful for the great privilege of knowing him. The reason that John Stott was a well-known theologian in the 20th century is because for 50 years he expounded the Word of God at All Souls in London. And he wrote many commentaries. His favorite commentary was the book of Ephesians. It was actually Calvin's favorite uh, commentary that he expounded upon as well. And so what I'd like to do is uh, read from his introduction as, as John Stott years ago said that he was greatly concerned about the evangelical church. And what we mean by evangelical church is we believe that the gospel makes men and women new, the people who are born of God's spirit. But his concern was that in the church in the West, we, we have grown to have a low view of the church. And this is what he says. God's eternal purpose is to create through Jesus Christ a new society which stand out in bright relief against the somber background of the world. For God's new society is characterized by life in a place of death, by unity and reconciliation in a place of division and alienation, by the wholesome standards of righteousness in place of hatred and strife, and by unremitting, unremitting conflict with evil in the place of a fab, flabby 
compromise with it. Sadly, he's right. If you look at the church in the West, it seems as though the Spirit has moved and we are with empty shells where the gospel is no longer proclaimed. And rather than being marked by churches that are filled with men and women coming to Christ, we're populated throughout the church in the West of churches that are marked by the lack of love for one another and by apathy and by division within the church. And any time that Christ is not preached and the leadership is not committed to the raising up of Christ and the worship of Him and making Him known to those nations, then the church no longer actually has a reason to exist. Scott kind of closes his introduction by saying this, For the sake of the glory of God and the evangelization of the world, nothing is more important than that the church could be and should be seen as God's new society. That is our commitment as a church, has been from the beginning. That we desire at Redeemer Presbyterian Church and the leadership for the last uh, 15 years is to preach Christ. Many of you who are sitting here have come to faith in Jesus Christ since you've been a Redeemer. Many of you have grown to new understandings that it's Christ's work on your behalf and you're not struggling for freedom, but Christ has set you free to struggle with sin. He set you free. There's a huge difference that is there. And so it's important that we choose leaders this year who have this vision. Redeemer is a relatively young church and we must inspire we must choose members who will inspire her people to mature and to grow in Christ. And that's what our text is about this morning. It is about uh, our responsibility to choose from ourselves uh, men and women who will minister to the body of Christ, that they will mature the body of Christ. And that's what I want us to look at. So, the context of Ephesians, our text, the context of Ephesians 4, is that Paul has just spent three chapters talking about the glorious privilege. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been born by His Spirit. The privilege that that is of being His people. That we are called before the foundations of the earth, chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, he talks about how we've been saved by grace through faith. It's a work of God. It's nothing that we have done. We have been quickened by the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 3, Paul spends this whole prayer basically saying that he cannot believe that God called him, the chief of sinners, to be an apostle to the Gentiles as God is gathering out of all the nations one people to be the Israel of God. And so now where we come to in our passage today is he's ta- he, he, he is instructing us as God's people what it means to, to be God's people and how we are to mature as God's people. And so there are three things I want to look at uh, briefly this morning. First, uh, that it takes effort for us to mature. 
we're going to be God's people, it takes effort. Not only individually, but especially as the body of Christ. And then we're going to see that it takes each of us. If you're a member of this church, it takes every one of us participating for us to be what God has called us to be, to grow in the fullness of Christ. And then the the last thing before we close, I want us to see what that looks like in a church. So the first thing to see is this, is it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it, to mature, not only individually, but as members of the body of Christ and as a local church. Notice what he says in verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with each other in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You know, there's this notion that when you become a believer, that all of a sudden, like magic pixie dust, everything is great. Uh, you're going to love God, you're going to love His people. And that kind of there is this notion that now you can just kind of let go and you let God. Well, that's true in the sense of when you're converted, there's, something, there's certainly nothing that you can do to save yourself. That's why when we sprinkle children, uh, it is from above and we're completely passive in what God does in saving us. But after you're converted, we must mature. And we must grow. Paul exhorts us in this passage of that. He says that we are to walk worthy of the calling that God has called us. He has called us into His body by His grace. And now our lives are to be conformed into the image of Christ. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 when he talks in another passage uh, where he says that God has predestined us to be conformed in the image of Christ. I think one of the reasons a lot of people don't like to think about predestination or maybe the idea of God's mercy and God's calling in our lives is because that passage tells us there's a reason that he's done that. That if God has converted you by His Holy Spirit, He's united you to Christ, the purpose of being God's new society is that we might stand apart. That we might bear the very image of Christ, which is the opposite of the way we work as sinners in this world. And so we're challenged to walk worthy. We're challenged to grow. We're challenged to mature. Now Hebrews puts it this way. You've seen this passage in Hebrews where the writer of the Hebrews is is concerned that believers who had made profession of faith in Christ are moving back toward Judaism. And he says this, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
You see, we're exhorted, are we not? To grow, to mature, to get off the milk, to get on the meat so that we might be productive members of the body of Christ. Uh, I read a lot uh, by Spurgeon on the church uh, this week, but let me give you a couple of quotes about Spurgeon, his great concern of, of believers not understanding that if Jesus Christ loves his church and gave himself up for her, that we who are united to him are united to each other and should have the same attitude. Spurgeon said that half the strength of the church goes in ambulance service toward the weak and the wounded. So much energies are turned back toward those who are not growing, those who continue to remain weak. Now, obviously, we should do that. I know that many of you are broken. Many of you are depressed. Many of you are lonely. Many of you, your marriage is racked by, by sin and issues and problems in your life. And we should care for one another. We have those who are young in the faith, who are new. Some of y'all have been converted this fall. And it's important for us to help nurture you. But you see, you should be nurtured and cared for to be strengthened to get back out in the fight, to build God's kingdom. I read uh, The Band of Brothers, and what amazed me about these poor guys, they get shot all up, just send them to England, right? And then they'd be there for about three or four months and they would send them back on the front lines. That's God's intention for us. Spurgeon went on to say this, How many are quite unable to bear arms against the foe? For they need themselves to be guarded against the enemy. Paul later talks about how those who never mature are like children who, who are thrown by every wind in wave of doctrine, never quite settled on Christ, never quite resting by faith in His righteousness alone, always wondering where we fit in the picture rather than grasping hold of the gospel and moving forward. So the question is, how do we mature? Well, when he talks about walking worthy, The Greek word uh, for walking worthy literally means to live your life in balance. And when it says balance, it's not talking about the eastern sense of the yin and the yang, the salt and the light, I mean the sweet and sour and uh, light and darkness. But what he means by this is now that you know these doctrines, the simple doctrines that God has called you into his family, you've been adopted, you're sons and daughters of God. It is now time to get it out of your head, into your feet, and out there in the real world. Uh, I just uh, realized that uh, uh, somebody here today played football with my brothers years ago. And I remember sitting in the stands at Sanford Stadium. And I remember a player would make make a mistake, like miss a field goal. And the fans hated him. Or a player would put the ball on the ground. He scored three touchdowns, right? But when it really counted, he fumbled the ball. And people are angry at that player. What was even worse is when a player was hurt on the field and you would hear people say, well, you know, he, he need, we need to get him off the field. 
And I was always aware that those people who were saying that never played. They had never been in the game. They were always spectators. They were always observers. They were always criticizers. Because I will tell you, those who played, those who knew what it was like to be hurt or to make a mistake, there was sympathy and empathy for those. Many of you observe and you criticize. You don't like the music, you do like the music. You like John's preaching, you like my preaching, you don't like Justin's preaching, but we know why that's... No. (laughs) Actually, you did a very fine job this morning, Justin. But you see, that's immaturity. So what does maturity look like? He He says two things here. Humility and gentleness. To be, to be, to walk worthy is to make every effort in the body of Christ to promote the unity of the Spirit. Would you agree with that? Do you think that criticism, and by the way, I think there's such thing as critique, right? Write a letter to me. That's great. Write a letter to the session. Come to the session. Say, you know, I'm not sure if I agree with where we're headed. That's perfectly fine as long as you're participating. But humility is to consider others better than yourselves. You understand? Humility is to consider others better than yourself. It's like, hey, listen, whatever, how can I serve you? Now, I'm telling you, if you're not participating with Christ, if you're not doing this in your family, if you're not practicing this, this is a platitude, and you shut your ears out. But if there are those who are here who are unbelievers this morning, they are longing for that to be a reality in the lives of believers, because God's society is completely different from the world's society that demands that we perform. But not only humility, but gentleness. And let me explain this word gentleness. Especially husbands. It's a word that means meekness. Christ called himself meek, so we know that it can't mean weak. It's the Greek word pros, which gives the idea of a horse who allows the rider that it could crush to ride it. Jesus Christ, who's the Son of God, had the power and the ability when he was on the cross to call down his angels. But because he was meek, he was crushed on our behalf so that we might have life. This is contrary to our flesh. This is contrary to who we are as people by nature. Now, I need to say this because, you see, there's the visible church and the invisible church. Many of you are part of the visible church. You've been baptized. And if you struggle with why we baptize children today, we don't think that saves them. We believe that they are engaged to be the Lord's. But it's God's mercy still that regenerates them. And just like that water comes down on the head of that child, so does that child need the Holy Spirit to come in His mercy and unite that child to Jesus Christ. But the visible church is blessed, it's glorious. But there are many who are in the visible church baptized with water, but because they do not maintain these qualities because they have not been 
united to Christ by the Spirit and made partakers of the invisible church, born again in the kingdom of God. Now, is this happening in your life? Well, let me ask you this. How would you know if you're not involved in the body of Christ? Do you think coming here once a week for an hour and a half, for some of you an hour and ten minutes because you're 20 minutes late every time? Seriously. Instead of being ready to worship God. But even if you're here at 1030 and not 1040. Being here for an hour and a half, it's a wonderful time of worship. I always enjoy being here, hearing the Word of God. Friends, I'm going to tell you, it is not enough. We must be involved in each other's lives so that we can practice forgiveness. So that we can bear with each other, love one another, so you can be in a position where you could go, you know what, I could crush you right now, but I'm not going to do that because you know what, Jesus wouldn't. And I'm going to serve you. takes a lot of work to mature. You know, listen, this is why a lot of you don't want to be involved in church. You know why? Because it takes work. And it's because you're having enough problems on your own. It's like, why would I want to get involved? And then all of a sudden I have to start dealing not only with my sin, but their sin. And then they have to start dealing with my sin. But you see, this is the glorious beauty of what it means to be one with each other. And as the world watches us love each other, then they themselves will be attracted to God's new society because this church, this body, will be completely different than any other organization that's out there in the world. Wow. 11.45. (laughs) You got to tell that to the nursery worker. I had a guy one time, this is true, he was a young student, he said, man, you know, the Puritans would go for two or three hours. Why do you feel like you've always got to stop it? And I said, and I said uh, uh, they didn't have nursery back then. Said. <laughs> so it takes uh, effort to mature. But don't you also see that it takes all of us to do that? To mature? Notice what he says. He tells us in verses 4 through 6, hey, here's why you need to be one, because there's one faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism. And we can no more be divided among ourselves than God. there's division in the Godhead. And if you're divided up in your family and you and your wife can't get along and you can't get along with your children, man, there is a real problem because that is not God's intention. And by the way, does it take a lot of work to be one with your husband or wife? Spirit-filled people are people who are laying their lives down for one another. But after he says we're to be one, he says, verse 7, what does he say? What has been given to each of us? Grace. And what is the grace? Well, God has given gifts. And then he gives us warrior language of a king who goes to war and those who go into battle with him that after he has conquered he gives out booty. He gives out the spoils of war. And obviously it would seem to me that those who get the most of the rewards are those who are willing to take the most responsibility. But God has given gifts You know, one of the great philosophical problems that philosophers talk about is the one and the many. If all you are is oneness, then you become hierarchical. You become monolithic. And it's oppressive. Then on the other hand, if 
you move the other way and all you are is a plurality. Then you have chaos. But in the Godhead, in the church of Jesus Christ, we have the one and the many, one God in three persons. The economics within ourselves is the body of Christ. There is one head of the church and many members of his body. Now let me tell you something. If you've taken vows of Redeemer, you vowed, you vowed before God to participate in the work and the worship of this church. How can we accomplish what God's called us to if you refuse to receive the gifts that God has given you? Friends, listen, I, I got to tell you this. Some of you are depressed. Some of you are discouraged. Some of you, you're, there's sin. You don't know how to overcome sin. And you're trying to do it over here apart from the body. I have encouraging news for you. Get involved. Be involved in each other's life. Come to the mission conference in a month. Don't let there be 50 people here and our, the missionaries come and go, wow. Everybody should be here to participate. And the more you participate, perhaps all of a sudden seeking first the kingdom of God, Jesus says all these things will be added unto you. You know why many of you are depressed and discouraged? is because the only, you're not seeking the kingdom of God. You're seeking the benefits of Christ. And he is the benefit. And to be involved, that Lord Jesus, I will do what you want me to do. And he'll say, okay, I'll tell you what I want you to do. Get involved with my body. Get involved with each other. I wish I had time to extrapolate on this, but obviously he gave gifts so that we might be equipped, right? So that, so that you might be equipped to minister the kingdom of God. Every single person in here. And in our Old Testament text, there were captains of thousands. Can anybody tell me what the last captain there was? Captains of what? Tens. Everybody who is united to Christ, filled with the Spirit, is to be involved in each other's lives. And so it takes effort and it takes uh, each of us to mature. In the, and what does it look like? Well, I'm going to take two minutes on this because we have to come to the Lord's table. What does it look like? Well, <laughs> notice what he says. That, well, here's what it looks like. We're, we're, we're maturing in Christ. We're growing up. We're, we're becoming ligaments that are beginning to be tied together. And, and the more we do that, he says, the more we mature, then you will no longer be like children who are tossed by every turn and wave that's out there because you're not maturing in Christ. And there is no maturing apart from the body of Christ. You ever heard that term, pietism? Pietism are those who people who don't really need the church. They have their Oswald Chambers book. I bet everybody in here has read Oswald. Yeah, Oswald Chambers is fine. As long as you're reading Oswald Chambers in the context of the body of Christ. Or you read these books about discipleship. And so what we think maturing is, is we get bigger and bigger and bigger and you get to be 20 feet tall. And you go, oh man, this brother here, this sister, they are so spiritual. That's what they thought about the Pharisees. Let me tell you what it means to mature. Is you grow up and you're like me and you get to be 5'9". 
and you're not getting any bigger. And so I could have been much better at Georgia than my brothers, but they were bigger than I was. But I digress. But you know, you don't get to be 15 feet tall and 20 feet tall. Let me tell you, I got to be 5'9", and that was it. And then, uh, but I'm a man. And then I met my wife. And, uh, you know, you're not supposed to get married until you're taking certain responsibilities, so you take the responsibility of a wife. And then when you get married, you become one, and guess what you have? Children. And you multiply for the next generation. You know what it means to be mature as a believer? It means this, that you're multiplying the kingdom of God. And how do you multiply the kingdom of God? By union with each other. That's what this church is committed to. And we need to choose men who are humble. Men who are gentle. Men who know the word of God. Men who want to serve. I want to close um, <clears throat> by reading a quote from a guy named Henry Nowen, who always said he was on the outside looking in to the gospel. And uh, and in his book, he's reflecting on the, the Rembrandt picture of the prodigal son who comes back to his father and he's on his knees and he's experiencing the hands of his father around him. And then back in the corners, in the shadows, there are people who are looking. But they're not experiencing the hand of the father. And this is what he said. Even though there has been in me the lifelong desire to be an insider looking out, I nevertheless kept choosing over and over again the position of the outsider looking in. Sometimes looking in was a curious looking in, sometimes a jealous looking in, sometimes an anxious looking in, and once in a while even a loving looking in. But giving up the somewhat safe position of the critical observer seemed like a great leap into a totally unknown territory. I so much wanted to keep some control over my spiritual journey to remain able, to remain able of, to predict at least part of the outcome, that relinquishing the security of the observer for the vulnerability of the returning son seemed close to impossible. Are you outside looking in? And the reason you do that is because it frightens you to be on the inside looking out, because then you're no longer in control. You're no longer going to go, well, I'm going to get this involved, and I'm not getting that involved. No, you're inside. You become united to that body. And you're on the inside looking out. Hey, listen. I want to encourage you to do that today. If you're a believer, if you've, if you've taken... I'm talking to Redeemer members. Let's go. Let's hook our wagons up. And you figure out whether you're a captain or 10 or 50 or 100 or 1,000. But I'll tell you this. If we're going to choose a leader, this here at Redeemer, I guarantee you there are people who are already involved. Be involved. And I say to you, if you're not a Christian, you're on the outside looking in. And there is no other society that's out there that you'll experience the love of God who is cast out so that we might be brought in. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless uh, now our time of communion. Father, I pray that we would repent of not maturing, of being babes after 10, 15 years. 
uh, Lord, that we would grow. We know that you're gracious and that you'll be with us. So, Father, help us understand the glory of the power of union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we ask it in your holy name. Amen.